Good evening, everyone. This is your friend, Topsail, here with another episode of the South Fury Watch podcast. We're a few days late. I want to be upfront and apologizing for that. I went to a theme park over the weekend, which had roller coasters and all kinds of stuff, and somehow I lost my voice. I couldn't say how. Today, uh, I'm excited to have someone joining me who is from outside the watch. They are the guild master of the Ashbound, uh, Warmest Accord, and their name is Aelanane. Aelanane, how are you? I'm a little tired. I mean, you know that I just had a nap before we started recording because it is stupidly late uh, on my side of the world. I know, you're coming to us all the way from uh, not here, so, um, you know, I mean, thanks for being a good sport, and, uh, you know, what what time is it there right now anyways? Uh, it's quarter to 3 a.m. Jeez. I think the last time I stayed up to quarter of three must have been years ago, but, you know, everybody's different, I suppose. And you work, like, the, the third shift or something, right? Uh, no, I just work, like evenings but um i don't know what third shift means actually so it could mean evenings i don't we don't really use those terms yeah yeah well anyways i'm glad that you're uh glad that you're here with us it is almost nine o'clock where i am so you know almost my bedtime <laughs> but uh anyways i wanted to uh i wanted to you know learn some more things about you and your guild and you know what you do in the world of warcraft so i figured a good place to start would be with the Ashbound itself. So I was hoping that you could tell us about the Ashbound and uh, what you guys are about and what led what what uh, what led to its creation. Yeah, so uh, basically we're a um, kind of Sylvanas critical, Sylvanas skeptical, um, but still Horde loyalist um, warband guild. Uh, Basically, the kind of the lore of the guild is that we um, formed in the aftermath of Tell the Sill because my character, Alanine, um, basically had sort of, she was knocked out of her programming from, because she's a, um, she's an undead elf. So she was knocked out of her forsaken programming and she um, basically came to see that what was happening was very much in line with the events that led to her own turning. Um, so she had a complete change of heart. She went from a full-on loyalist to being very critical, and she decided with the um, some friends from an existing warband, which was falling apart because the leader went missing, uh, she decided to uh, set up a new one with a um, very democratic structure. So basically the way it works is, while Alanine is the chairwoman of the warband, um, she is she technically does have like full power it's kind of a kind of a flawed democracy sort of situation she can take charge and veto completely uh but um she generally just lets the folks in the warband make the decisions so that's the um the kind of the gist of the warband and what we're about okay so i was doing a little bit of research on the internets. Um, you know, I'm very investigatorial. I know how to use Google, so beware. Um, and basically what I found was that the Ashbound is kind of more 
thrall favoritists, I guess. Would you say that that's correct? Yeah. So basically, it's kind of taking thrall's values to the horde and pushing them forward, maybe updating them a little bit because they were very much for orcs when they were come up with, and the horde is a lot more than orcs now. So um, it's basically kind of there is still that strength is key uh it probably wouldn't fit well in kind of a modern day kind of setting like because it is still very might makes right um but it's a much more um what's the word it's a much more um empathetic approach like they're not like seeking to destroy everyone that is um being fought with like Sylvanas is um so for example Alnane is kind of while she is of the opinion that places like Gilneas should belong to the Forsaken because she kind of feels they completely betrayed them and they could have helped fight off the um scourge instead of walling themselves up so she's very much angry about that um she feels that the Forsaken should own Gilneas but she doesn't feel like every Gilnean should be killed she just feels like they should be gently displaced which is obviously quite flawed if we look at history and see what quote-unquote gentle displacements have been like they've not been particularly great so Alanane is still obviously a very flawed character um but she likes to think that she's going about things in a much more um sympathetic way peaceful perhaps i would not say peaceful she is She's on board with fighting the current war. She's just not on board with fighting it the current way, basically. Okay, so maybe a little less mass genocide and a little more, you know, striking military targets only, <laughs> maybe? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, do you think that the Ashbound would welcome the return of a war chief thrall? Um, that's interesting because there's a lot of different views in the warband. Um, so I think some of the more traditional members would definitely be on board with that, but Alnane is more, she wants to see a council because uh, she feels that the um, the idea of having a central war chief is what's causing the problems. Um, and she feels like if every race is represented in a war council, or maybe a peace council, as radical as that sounds, um, then she thinks that a lot of the issues would be avoided. I think that could be true, but then at the same time, if you know the whole leadership was just the council, then you would kind of have something that like modern day politics has, and maybe it's true in where you are. I know it's pro- it's definitely true in the U.S. You know, there's not a lot of decisive action either way when you have, you know, too many cooks in the kitchen. Um, I think a council would be probably the best bet for the horde to prevent them, you know, further down a path of destruction. Um, but I think also if they had, you know, the right war chief in there, and that's actually why I asked you about Thrall, you know, because I. I was looking at your just things that I saw about the guild, you know, that you kind of model your ideology after him. But then I was thinking, well, you know, Thrall, 
you know, towards the end there, he was kind of unlikable. Uh, you know, even up to the present day, he hasn't really taken a lot of responsibility for the things that he either did directly or indirectly. You know, uh, the player base was referring to him as Green Jesus, and uh, you know, back in Cataclysm, we <laughs> we helped him along with that midlife crisis thing, which I'm sure had nothing to do with Chris Met- uh, Chris Metzen, you know, also <laughs> retiring. Um, but yeah, I was just thinking about the different leaders in the horde. You know, and I th- I thought that Thrall was an interesting choice. Like, why not Lorthamar, or you know, why not Bane? Well, it's more of the fact that Thrall set up the values of the modern horde, the um the original values of the modern horde. So it's it's less like we want War Chief Thrall, and it's more like we admire what Thrall did, and we want to continue his work. And if um if there were to be a war chief, like there are definitely members of the um, warband who would prefer a war chief, um, then I'm not so sure that all of them would be like big into thrall. Um, like um, my um, blood knight character, who is also in the guild, uh, Aladdin, she would um, probably be in favor of a war chief, Lothamar. Well, right. I mean, you know, Blood Elves probably want a Blood Elf at the seat since yeah. they they haven't exactly been brushed to the side, but they also haven't really been given much respect either, um, you know, by the past administration or the current one. Both have kind of, I think, seen them ha- as, uh, and by the past administration, I mean Garrosh. Um, you know, both Garrosh and Sylvanas kind of, I think, view them as tools and not so much as people. Yeah, we don't Maybe- we don't count Vol'jin because he didn't sit down on his throne for long enough. Oh my god, I'm embarrassed. I forgot that Vol'jin was War Chief. <laughs> oh, that's too bad. Um, well, so the interesting question then, so if it's not so much Thrall, but it's more just his ideologies, um, then who does that benefit more? in the long run, if someone like Thrall were to be the war chief, or if a council that held those ideologies in mind were to come to rule the Horde, would that benefit the Horde more, or would it benefit the Alliance more? I think that would be... um, It's a very um, wartime way of looking at it, and I think, generally, what most rational people in the Horde want is peace but peace on fair terms. So as long as a fair peace is achieved, then I think whether it benefits the Horde or the Alliance is kind of null, because things should be benefiting both. Well, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit there, because, you know, while I... uh, Yeah, the rational person in me wants to say... You know, something that can benefit everybody is for the best. I think that the Horde doesn't necessarily need a good person to lead it. It needs someone who can lead it into being respectable. Um, you know, even though under Garrosh for several years the Horde was the larger and more powerful, uh, you know, perhaps of the of the two superpowers. Um, you know, it doesn't really have anything to do with how the races of the Horde are looked down upon or or viewed as nuisances. I mean, if you think about the races that make up the Horde and then think about what they would be or where they would be without the Horde as an organization, 
most of them would probably be in sorry states. I mean, you know, orcs, you know, are probably still viewed by the Alliance as something completely unnatural to this world because they are. Uh, but then, you know, the trolls, the goblins, even the elves, the forsaken, you know, there wouldn't really be a place for them without the overarching thing. And so that's why I think that having a leader who is, you know, going to stand up for the Horde is maybe more important than doing what is right for the Alliance, you know? Well, it's a mix of both. So if you have a leader who, you know, has good diplomatic relations with the Alliance, like avoiding the constant border conflicts and such, then that benefits both. Uh, But if you also have a leader who at the same time is seeking to better the infrastructure and industrial power of the Horde, then I think those are completely compatible. The only issue if I think you run into is the fact that there are obviously people in the Alliance who would see just the Horde thriving as a threat. Well, right, exactly. And, you know, likewise with the Horde and the Alliance thriving, I think that it's, you know, I'm not a fan of a lot of uh, Sylvanas' quotes, but the cycle of hatred one is a good one. Um, you know, it's it's kind of a, a never-ending circle of, uh, you know, power struggles, I guess. Yeah, um, uh, it's, it's hardly even just a Sylvanas quote. It's kind of a motif that's consistently uh, touched on, like uh, Jaina and Thrall have both touched on it too. So, Right. It's kind of like Daenerys. Did, did you ever watch a or kind of a stupid question? Did you watch Game of Thrones? Uh, I watched up to season five, then I stopped. Okay, are you a are you a book fan? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I think that's the point where things kind of really went off the rails, um, and and I was like, okay, this is ridiculous. <laughs> I I still I I still watched it, but <laughs> I'm with you there. Um. So yeah, breaking the wheel. Yeah. On and on it goes. One guy's in power, then the next guy, blah, 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 whatever. You know, so I guess that's a good question then. How do you convince the the Horde and the Alliance diehards to make peace with each other? Uh, kill them all. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I suppose just um, you kind of have to um, appeal to what is common across everyone, which is they want security. They want safety. They want a place they can either raise a family or protect others within their kind of tribe. Um, so I think there would have to be a lot of reassurances. There would have to be um, a lot of concessions from both Horde and Alliance. There would have to be, um, I think, honestly, most important would be mutual interaction. Because at the moment, like, and I know a lot of it is for gameplay, and we're kind of we're strung between what is gameplay and what is lore. But at the moment, it seems like the Horde and the Alliance are so segregated and everything. Like even in places like Booty Bay and Gadgetstan, they don't interact that much. So I think like a big part of it would be mutual interaction, uh, learning about each other's cultures, um, and. I don't know if this is really a thing that could happen in the Warcraft universe. It's much more of a our world thing, but like, like formal apologies for like past acts. Yeah, 
probably get an orc to say, hey, sorry, we, we killed all those druids in Stone Talon. Yeah, that was our bad. And yeah. then maybe the the humans apologizing for the internment camps. Yeah. But and maybe maybe also sorry for the whole Drenai genocide thing. Well, yeah, you know, I mean that that's uh <laughs> that's definitely part of it too. But then you also have the people who would say, But Gul'dan told us to and he gave us the green the green juice. And you know, we can't be responsible for that. At some point you just gotta drop it and sometimes yeah, you just you gotta, gotta suck it up. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean you almost kinda see some of what you were just talking about, but it was many expansions ago in Wrath of the Lich King, it's like everybody kinda seemed a little bit to be working together against the Scourge. Um and then the Wrathgate just kinda put it into to all that. I I will occasionally watch that cinematic when I feel like I need to get inspired about WoW, you know, because that's just like the, one of the good cinematics. Um, and that got me thinking, I was like, oh, you know, the Horde of the Alliance were working together, you know, through the Fjord and through the Tundra. And then everything kind of broke loose. And then you had Tyrion trying to bring everybody back together. And then Garrosh became War Chief and it all went down the drain. So, you know, maybe a return to thrall's policies i guess might not be such a bad idea where if you can get everybody working together maybe they can get over the past hatreds um you know i think that you'll probably still have the small folk being a little racist against everybody but maybe eventually there can be hope for a brighter future yeah well all right so and so that's actually Another thing that I was curious about, Ale is a Death Knight, and uh, she is not Icely. She is um, she is basically a Dark Ranger, but instead of picking up a bow, she picks up a sword. So, how is a Dark Ranger different than a Death Knight? So, a, a Death Knight is um, a very special kind of undead. So, you obviously have the whole raised directly by the Lich King thing, um, or in more modern cases, other Death Knights can raise them, but it's very specific to that, and they're a lot more functional. Their bodies still kind of work in a lot of ways, and it's kind of a, a well-known meme about someone asking if their bits still work, and a um, law person confirming that they do. <laughs> Oh, is that that with blood magic, anything is possible, quote? Yes. Ah, okay, that's wonderful. Um, and yeah, a Dark Ranger is... Um, so you know a Banshee, right? Yeah. So a Dark Ranger is basically a Banshee that has possessed their old body. Oh, so it's essentially Sylvanas. Yeah, Sylvanas is... The, the the term dark ranger is kind of it's a little misleading because it implies that they are specifically rangers when that's just what most of them are like there isn't actually any lore examples of what i'm role playing but i think it's a fair assumption that an undead that was a banshee that possessed their old body could pick up a sword instead of a bow and arrow i gotcha okay so where i was going with that 
you know, when I said Ale is the Death Knight, Ale is the Dark Ranger. Um, you know, I guess in general, undead typically aren't the moralizing type. Um, a lot of times they're pretty Machiavellian. Uh, you know, they, they don't seem to mind so much being, uh, you know, monsters or, uh, you know, not, you know, kind of uh, focusing more on the ends justifying the means, I suppose. Is Ale much different than other undead? Uh, she is and she isn't. I would say she has a lot more empathy going on, but that isn't something that remained naturally. That's something she had to train up again in the wake of Teldrassil. Um, because positive emotions are dulled by being undead. So generally, if you have a negative emotion, that comes through loud and clear, but if you have a positive emotion, it comes through a lot more dulled and sometimes even not at all. So Alnane basically had to retune herself to recognizing when those positive emotions were still coming through. Um, and she is still very much a pragmatic person. Um, she will see no value in um, keeping alive prisoners who were spies. She has she's very harsh on that, but she is also um, perfectly okay with. Um, dealing with prisoners who are people who um, either surrendered or were like scouts, so not particularly full-on combatants. So she's um, she's got some kind of interesting values. She's, she's both harsh and, um, what's the word? Uh, Sympathetic, maybe. Forgiving. Forgiving. So, how did she train up her, her forgiving side, then? So, it was basically a matter of... Because um, the emotions are still there. Like, she still felt, like, guilt. She still felt, like, um, empathy. She still felt, like... Um, kind of a nurturing kind of instinct, but it was all very much less than 1% of what it would usually be. So it got hidden behind all of the negative emotions. So when she kind of came out of her sort of uh, indoctrination um, trance, she took the time to just kind of uh, stop listening to the negative emotions and kind of narrow in and look at the positive things because when she was snapped out of that sort of trance it was a big burst of um and i say positive emotions but obviously guilt isn't a positive emotion but it's it's a um it has a positive effect and i think sure. that would, i think that would be what weird classes positive emotions in this case so when she saw Telbisil burning she had like a massive sensation of guilt and that kind of woke her body up to those feelings again and she could see past the kind of consistent anger and hatred and scorn 
I see. Yeah, I think that the the burning of Teldrassil definitely had, um, you know, a, a varied effect on a lot of different characters. Um, you know, with my character speci- uh, specifically, Lance, you know, he's he's not so much sympathetic, I guess, to that. Um, he's not uncaring, but I don't think that he views what was done as anything less than what you know sacking a city would look like. Um, but you also said that the, the burning of Teldrassil reminded Ale a lot of her own turning. So Ale as a character, you know, who was she before she died? How did she die? And what was her life like before, uh, forming the Ashbound and having this kind of awakening experience? Uh, so Alanine was a pretty typical high elf. Um, she, Grew up in a pretty small family. She just had her mum, her dad, and her sister, who is another character of mine, Varial, um, who is currently a Void Elf. Um, and basically, it was pretty, um, pretty serene household. Um, she and her sister had their hijinks, like messing around with boys and stuff. Um, uh, Alanine is the older sister. She was studying um, the arcane. Uh, she was pretty far into her studies. Uh, she was um, around 160, I think, when she died. Um, so young, but kind of getting to the point of somewhat maturity. As in, like, elves are weird. Um, so I guess you would say, like, you have, like, all the races become physically mature at the same age, basically. Um, but... I'd say, like, elves considered to become emotionally mature, like, later. So I think Alnane was kind of reaching that emotional maturity. Um, she was m- almost done with her studies. Um, and then the Sigurja died. Uh, so she was um, she was in Silvermoon when the Sigurja rampaged through. She lived in the, uh, the now-destroyed district. Um, and she was... Uh, targeted by a lich for her arcane ability um, and he directly rose her as a banshee um, and she was basically forced to go with the scourge doing the horrible things uh, destroying the somewhere etc um, and eventually she was snapped out of it by Sylvanas and she decided to make her way back to Silver Moon and possess her old body because she saw that the Dark Rangers had done the same. Um, so she's uh, been part of the Forsaken words. She's been part of the Forsaken ever since. Um, and she was a pretty um, standard foot soldier. Um, she served in all the major conflicts, uh, she, for the first few years of things, she was uh, just patrolling um, Waldron. Uh, come Wrath of the Lich King, she served uh, in um, the Howling Fjord. Um, and uh, she was um, kind of not present for the Wrathgate, uh, but she uh, served... Um, in the siege of Undercity after, um, which is where she actually was promoted to a Dreadguard. 
Um, and then after that, she uh, did um, a lot of stuff during Kala, which she's not proud of now. Like, uh, she took part in the invasion of Gilneas, the invasion of South Shore, um, committed a lot of atrocities. Um, and uh, Commissa Pandaria, she uh, took part in a small kind of force that was stationed on Pandaria. Um, Walls of Drenor, she was back to Lordaeron. And Legion, she served in Stormheim. So she was part of that whole DVO there. Now, you said that the guild that you're running right now kind of rose from a different guild. What guild was that? I probably shouldn't say because there's some OOC drama involved. Oh, okay. All right, then I guess we don't need to know. But uh, my friends know and people in the guild know, so it, it's not a secret. It's just I don't think it's best to be saying it on the podcast. Okay, I mean, we have like zero listeners, so if you want to say it, you can probably have zero fear of uh, you know, repercussions, but, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm not going to force you to. <laughs> so, uh, no worries there. Um, all right, so, nameless, so she's been around, basically, and, you know, maybe isn't so proud of the things that she did, but during the time, that was kind of just like what her fellow Dark Rangers were doing. And, uh, you know... When this whole you know shebang happened with Teldrassil, she's kind of looking back and feeling feeling a little bad about what happened, huh? Yeah. Okay. Now, how long have you been? How long have you been role playing on Warmer's Accord? Uh, I'm gonna sound like a complete baby here. I've only been here since uh, seven point three. So uh, which I don't one was that ex- one? That was the last patch of Legion. Um, I can't remember the exact... I think it, I started two years ago, I think, pretty much. So you've been role-playing a while for two years? Yeah. Okay. So where were you before? Were you on, like, Moonguard or Emerald Dream? I was not in WoW at all. I um. So that was when I first started playing WoW. 7.3? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, okay. So then, how do you know, how how does the Ashbound have a history with the South Fury Watch then? Um, well, we've been very recently kind of engaging. Um, so um, I had a few friends in the guild who OOC knew Greya and just connected us, and we've we've had a few kind of interactions. Um, oh, okay. So it's it's not that you knew Greya; it's that some of your your guild members did. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. No worries. I, I wasn't sure if you guys had like a long history, because when you said you started playing 7.3, I was like, geez, then how do you know Greya from Thorian Brotherhood? <laughs> like, <laughs> yo, how, do, how does that work I, out? <laughs> Greya and I, we go back 40 years. <laughs> I was going to say, like, geez. Yeah, for someone who hasn't played WoW, you, uh, you, you know a lot of people on it. Yeah, I've kind of just... Um, I made a lot of friends who know a lot of friends, and I've kind of just jumped into things pretty headfirst in a way that I never did with previous MMOs. Sure. Now, what got you into roleplay in the first place? Uh, so, I've kind of always been a storyteller. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was playing Guild Wars 2. Uh, this was back in 2013. Um, so I've not even been roleplaying that long. I'm like a complete baby. Um, and so, yeah, um, I was playing Guild Wars 2, and I kind of just heard about the fact that there were 
football playing going on and um there was a guild I wanted to join and it was on uh it was on a tarnished coast which was the US kind of unofficial role playing server on Guild Wars 2 um so I joined that guild I joined that server um and I kind of just became immersed in role play and I made one of those horrible cringy characters that you make when you first start role playing um but it's actually um it's in Guild Wars 2 that my uh the name of my Draenei, uh, Lorella, is it's from my, n- not my first Guild Wars 2 character. That is a memory I do not want to <laughs> bring back. It's from one of my um, later characters. So I just kind of copied that name into WoW when I first started playing WoW. Okay, so, I mean, I think I've played like literally half an hour of Guild Wars 2, so I'm not even going to try to engage you on that one. Um Believe me, but, it feels the same way. The complete dearth of content I did. I don't feel like I played more than half an hour of that game. Yeah, I, I can't even tell you what kind of character I made, but I don't know. Someone told me it was fun, so I tried it out. And then, as is with like literally any other MMO out there, other than Star Wars: The Old Republic, I think I played it for maybe two minutes and you know, realized that overall, WoW is just kind of a more polished game. Um, yeah, so. I, looking back, I kind of regret that I started in Guild Wars 2, because it's not a bad game. It's not a bad game at all, but it's a bad MMO, I would say. It just doesn't do what an MMO should do, so it feels a bit weird to look back and see how much I was, like, into it, because the thing with Guild Wars 2 is it has much more of an open-world focus, um, and that's kind of not really what I look for nowadays. I'm a big raider, so it's... I mean, they didn't even add raiding in Guild Wars 2 until the first expansion, so it was a bit... That's kind of weird. Yeah. yeah. What, was it just PvP? Uh, it was uh, PvP, and um, there was this thing called Fractals of the Mists, which was basically like Mythic Plus. It had like increasing difficulty, but it was... Um, it was interesting because Guild Wars 2 comes from Guild Wars 1. Guild Wars 1 was very much a single-player MMO, as weird as that sounds. It was... So it's kind of copying some of those things that people liked in Guild Wars 1. So I understand why it is the way it is, but it just doesn't feel like a a modern game, really. It doesn't feel like a modern MMO. It doesn't have the hooks that I would expect. But I enjoyed it at the time, so it's neither here nor there. Well, hey, you know what? That's good. Um, I'm, I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you're on WoW now, and so that's that's the way it is. You, you can't leave, otherwise we'll kick you out of the club. <laughs> uh, so you, you've got a bunch of Blood Elves, but I understand that you play both factions, right? Yes. All right. So who is the better faction? Um, in terms of lore... Uh, no, I just want to know overall. Well, I have different kind of judgments. So I'd say in terms of lore, definitely the Horde. In terms of variety of um, kind of aesthetics, I would also say the Horde. But I would say in terms of where my favorite race is, I would have to say Alliance because I am a huge fan of Draenei. Why Draenei specifically? Um, 
So I'm Jewish, and Joe and I have a lot of Jewish inspiration. So it's kind of, it's nice to play something that is connected with my ancestry and has okay. kind of motifs that are taken from it and these ideas and stuff. And it, it just feels, it's a lot more engaging for me. I, sure. I find it a lot easier to connect to a character that is kind of culturally relevant to me. Well, right, and especially in a game filled literally with monsters, you got to find a way to connect to them some way. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I feel the same way about goblins because I'm kind of from the east coast of the United States, or the, the northeast, I should say, where, you know, kind of the goblin culture is, you know, a little bit in reference to, especially yeah. with, with Cataclysm where they buffed it out a bit. I wouldn't um, even say a little bit. It's, I mean, they're basically just... um kind of uh, jersey shore combined with the mafia so it's right exactly <laughs> so i can definitely understand that i mean dre and i are cool they've, they've got a lot of cool lore uh, and you know i can understand where you're coming from culturally um but i think something that the alliance struggles with is finding identity with each of the races beyond i mean obviously gnomes dwarves you know, and night elves, they're all very different. Um... Yeah, I would say to become a member of the Alliance, a race has to be very um, muted. Yeah, there's, kind of there's be... a lot of conformity there. The unique features of the races kind of get understated. Like, I think the biggest offender would be the night elves, because what we saw in Warcraft 3 it's only just now kind of coming back a bit, and that's what I'm. One of the things I really like about BFA is the fact that night elves are cool again, and it's it's kind of sad that things happened that way. But I think it was kind of because of how they framed the alliance. Kind of, if you want humans, play the alliance, and it kind of became, look at all these, look at these short humans, look at these purple humans, look at these shorter humans, and it's like. And these even more purple humans. Yeah. With the Void Elves. <laughs> it's, it's a huge shame. I think another example would be the Alliance High Elves. They're kind of just humans, even though they come from the exact same culture as Blood Elves. I mean, know for a fact that the culture of Blood Elves isn't something new that happened overnight. Like, it's something that was carried over much from High Elves. And it's so weird to look at the High Elves and see how kind of milk toast they are. And it's one of the... One of the weaknesses of Blizzard's storytelling, I think, is the fact that the Alliance, they're so afraid to do something controversial or something out there with. And yeah, I hope that will change if the faction war loses precedence, which I think is going to happen after BFA. Yeah, I mean, and yeah, with the, with the High Elves the blood elves literally are high elves they just changed their name because of what happened with the scourge invasion um so they're they're literally the same people but the blood elves and the horde are definitely much different than you know the night elves are the alliance you know the blood elves definitely have a a much different presence than you know their counterparts do so i agree with you there and you know i do hope that the alliance has a way to have everybody stand out a little bit more. Now, when you said that the Night Elves are kind of becoming cool again, are you ref uh, referencing the Night Warrior stuff? Yeah, I think the Night Warrior stuff is a nice change because, like, uh, not just that, though, because, like, in we, we saw in the cutscene, the Dark Shore cutscene, that 
Malfurion's being a badass bitch now, and it's like, it's really nice to see, because he's just been around like, oh, Tyrande, and it's, it's a nice change. Um, I think Night Owls deserve it. Um, obviously, some people aren't too happy with how things are going in BFA, but I think one of the strong points of BFA is that it's giving a lot of love to things that kind of got put at the wayside. Um, regardless of anything else. Um, although I will say I am personally enjoying the expansion, but I won't dismiss people's um, criticisms of it. Um, but yeah, so I think what is happening with the Night Warrior is also pretty interesting because there are some implications. It's not, maybe not, like, as benevolent as it seems. Like, that perhaps... Elune is kind of a two-sided god in more than just kind of the Night Warrior and um, the other half of her that I can't remember. Um, like, there's implications from going back to uh, Legion, where... Uh, there's, so, forgive me for going on kind of a tangent here, but basically in the uh, Sisters of the Moon fight in Tumas Argeris, the floor has a specific pattern, and people were like, what is this pattern? And then they saw the same pattern in the sky above Elinaria, uh, the uh, um, Ianar fight in Antorus. And so people think that that's a loon. And a loon looks kind of weird and purple. Um, and there's also that asset is also used in uh, the Nighthold during the uh, Star Augur fight. Um, and it has tentacles coming through it in one of the visions. So people kind of. Um, have this theory going on that Elune has some kind of void corruption and I think that's really interesting and I think the Night Warrior has some potential in terms of that okay so that theory crafting stuff is interesting and I'm definitely going to go check that out because I never noticed that um, you know, I'm, I'm not a huge Night Elf buff to begin with but that's super cool I love when they do subtle shit like that and you know don't you know say like hey look what we did (laughs) um but kind of personally i think that the night warrior stuff is it's fine but i think where we're so used to being aggressive and a little evil you know it's kind of hard for me not to roll my eyes when you know to to me it kind of looks like the the writers are being like okay look how evil and cool the alliance is now and we're all over here just like yeah okay like oh your eyes are black oh no yeah, I, I can understand that feeling. Like it's like the right is like, look how edgy the alliance is now, and then one patch later, it's like, look how innocent Anduin is. Exactly right. And we just got off an expansion where literally the edgiest of edgy people were like the main focus with the demon hunters. Like, yo, know, okay, you you made your eyes turn black. Well, these guys literally put their eyes out. Like you know, I don't know. Not and- not to not to draw comparisons that way but it's just like okay you know you guys are cool too i guess and then the demon hunters are like i sacrificed everything and then the death knights are like bitch what yeah exactly everybody's just fighting for how edgy they could be and so you you kind of get to this point where it's just like okay who actually is like you know everybody's sacrificing everything or you know suffering or you know trying to be badass for their country and shit and it's just like all right you know like it was cool the first time, but you guys are kind of overdoing it now. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean it's Blizzard. If if things weren't edgy, then I'd be concerned for the health. <laughs> right. Exactly. All right. So you got a little bit of a alliance sympath- sympathizer in you, but that's all right. <laughs> um, now your guild to bring it back to the Ashbound. You know, there are some people in there who aren't so sympathetic. Some people are. What's the current storyline for the Ashbound? So we're kind of on a bit of a small hiatus because we have a bit of... The issue is we're kind of... Um, we're struggling to know how to go forward because we ca- I'm kind of waiting on 8.2.5 um, data mining to know what direction to take. But we have a storyline coming up which is basically going to consist of us kind of helping a sort of underground railroad of um, uh, political dissidents from Orgrimmar who are trying to escape. Um, I don't know if I should say that, actually, because it's kind of very much work in progress with um, a fellow guild member of mine, um, Agonsuo, who is um, a really great person, uh, also known as uh, Fizzle. Um, Is he a goblin? He, uh, well, he he, he mains a goblin, but his character in our guild is a um, Mycar Orc. Well, shout out to Fizzle, then. Goblins are the best. But yeah, he's uh, really awesome, and he's doing uh, that storyline with us. Um, so I don't want to spoil too much of it, because he probably doesn't want me to, because it is very much a work in progress at the moment. But basically, we're going to be um, helping out some kind of political distance, um, kind of not actively acting against Sylvanas, but sort of more so than we have before. And we're also kind of... Um, we are kind of ready to just at the first sign of any action against Thunder Bluff because as we all saw at the end of the war campaign cinematic, it was pretty ominous. She's right. probably gonna act against Thunder Bluff in some way, so that's kind of the issue here. That I don't know what to, what to do until data mining to know whether actually things are gonna happen there. Because if I move the war band to Thunder Bluff and then fuck all happens, it's like. Oh, <laughs> so 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 Fizzle is doing the um kind of intervening story to kind of work towards whatever eventuality. I gotcha. All right, and I did want to touch a little bit on classic WoW because yes. uh, I know that that's a that's a hot topic for a lot of people right now. So you obviously did not play vanilla since we know that you just started playing like a year ago. Yes, so, and I was also six years old when it launched. Oh, okay. So <laughs> we don't probably weren't playing then. So how have you been? How have you been enjoying classic so far? It's complicated. I like it when I'm playing with a friend, but when I'm playing on my own, I absolutely despise it. It's it's so weird how like it's it's I either love it or I hate it, and it it depends entirely on who I'm playing with, um, like myself or someone else. Um, so it's it's interesting. I I do like seeing the old zones even when I'm not playing with a friend but for me to enjoy the questing I have to have someone to chat shit with because otherwise I'm just there in this kind of I think we can all agree that the classic gameplay is at best terrible <laughs> so it's, it's very rudimentary and obviously that's because it's from 2004 but it's um yeah, it obviously doesn't hold up, but 
I'm enjoying it still when I'm playing with a friend. Absolutely, yeah. Now, I mean, it's interesting. I kind of view it as like an old school RPG where you're... I mean, first of all, what's the uh, what's the race class combo that you're playing? Uh, I'm playing um, a Night Elf Druid with my friend, because uh, I heard that Druids are a bit of a pain in the ass to level. Sure. Uh, and I'm playing a Forsaken Warlock on my own. Okay. So Forsaken Warlock, probably not so bad, but the Druid, yeah, Druids, I'm, I'm pretty sure I heard, are also a pain to level. I kind of view it as more of like an, an old school RPG. Yeah, I was leveling up a Hunter, I got him to level 20, I think, and then I I was like, I don't know if I really want to go much further, but um, just having to, you know, feed my pet and buy ammunition and make sure that I have bandages. So if I'm like stuck in a quest zone where everything, because things respawn super fast. And if you don't have bandages, like you can, you can be screwed sometimes because you'll get finished killing a mob and be on the edge of death. And then, like, another one would just spawn right on top of you and one-shot you, and it's like, oh my god. So it kind of feels like an old RPG in that sense, where you have to, like, you have to be prepared, and you have to do the professions to give yourself the edge. Like, I had to make myself one of the engineering guns just because the damage was better. Um, Which, I don't know if you know, but with orcs, they don't start off even knowing how to use guns. So then I had to go all the way to Thunder Bluff to learn how to use guns so yeah. i don't know it kind of reminds me of like one of those games where you where you have to like learn skills and really put time into becoming better and then if you did that your chances of surviving out in the wild were a little bit better but not you know obviously not perfect um and so i kind of like it for that sense but also i think i'm with you too like my gaming tastes now are very much you know kind of i don't I don't think that I really have the time to spend three hours preparing to play the game. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think um, one of the things from my perspective is I really struggle to see WoW in any form as a proper RPG. I have kind of, I'm have i quite a purist in this sense. I kind of, for me to define something as an RPG, it has to have meaningful player choice. Like That's a phrase I use a lot. So, for example... In WoW, you've never really had meaningful player choice because you're always doing these quests and you don't get a choice of how you do the quests. Uh, but if you compare it to like an old-school RPG like Baldur's Gate or Fallout, you always get choices, and those choices are meaningful and they lead to real story changes. And I think for me to define something as an RPG, it has to have that. So I can't... like. I struggle to look at WoW and um, especially classic and find the mechanics engaging, except when I'm with a friend, obviously, because everything's fun when you're with a, fr- when you're with a friend. Um, so I struggle to see those mechanics as engaging because it's it just feels like needless busy work because it, I don't have that um, that pull of meaningful player choice that makes me feel like I'm actually in the world. But I know for I know for a fact that that's kind of a radical view when it comes to RPGs. Yeah, I mean, I think that when it comes to old school RPGs, you know, and Baldur's Gate is certainly a good example of that. Or if you look at um, you know Tyranny or Pillars of Eternity or even that Pathfinder Kingmaker game, you know, there's a lot of player choice in those, and for that, I can certainly understand. But you know, a role playing game, I think, so long as you're 
fulfilling some kind of role other than your own, maybe. I, I think it still kind of qualifies, in my opinion. Um, so, like, you know, if you think about, like, you know, The Legend of Zelda or Metroid or Fire Emblem, I think that those are technically RPGs. It's just that you as the player don't have that much control over the story because, you know, there's a... You know, there's that preset story, but you do have control over how you might play it. Like, you know, what chass or what class you might choose in, um, you know, the newest Fire Emblem game or Final Fantasy Tactics or Final Fantasy to begin with. You know, I mean, Final Fantasy, I've never, I've actually never played any of the games other than the Tactics ones. Um, but I'm pretty sure in like Final Fantasy VII, you don't have much control over the story. I don't know if you've ever played that game. I've not played any Final Fantasy games. Okay. Yeah, I mean, no worries. But I think that, you know, those are still RPGs. And so I, I think that's why, in this sense, where WoW is an MMORPG, it still kind of qualifies because, yeah, you can choose what class to play, what race you are. Um, yeah, you can choose what professions you have. And, yeah, those aren't necessarily uh, choices of consequence, but they are as far as the gameplay goes and especially in vanilla you know if you're an engineer and you're trying to raid you know maybe that may not be the best profession of choice but if you're pvping it definitely could be so i don't know i i understand where you're coming from and i think that having the player choice there for a single for a single player game is definitely the way to go but maybe where you know wow was an mmo not so much yeah, I can definitely see that. I think, um, I guess for me, it just comes from the fact that so many games nowadays have like RPG-ish aspects that it kind of becomes a blurred line. Like, what do you and don't you consider an RPG? Like, if picking a class is an RPG thing, then Destiny is an RPG. And I would probably call that more of a, um, I don't know. Video game genres are a mess. <laughs> Well, I mean, Destiny is kind of an FPS, but, yeah. It, and yeah, I mean, not every game that lets you choose a class is an RPG, but maybe it's a game that has RPG elements. So, right, it, it may not be, you know, Dungeons and Dragons level RPG, but it borrows a couple of the ideas. I mean, true RPGs, it, you know, by, by your ramifications, I guess, are very hard to pull off on a commercial sense, especially for a video game. Um you know, if you're playing tabletop, that's one thing, but there's only so much that I think the game devs can do reasonably <laughs> when it comes to incorporating, you know, those different powers that you have in an actual role-playing game. You know what I mean? Yeah. And also, let's stay clear from tabletop, because I probably have some hot takes on that will, that will make this uh, podcast last two hours long. Oh, <laughs> all right. Well, we definitely don't need to know, um, or we definitely do not need to go down that route. Um, especially because we have actually gotten pretty close, so long as you're okay with moving forward, uh, to the most anticipated part of the podcast for our listener base ale. Um, so question for you, in your short time playing WoW, how do you feel that your, your lore skills kind of brush up against your, your other skills, I guess? Or how, how do you feel about your lore knowledge? Um, I'd say... It's above average for someone who's played for my amount of time. Have you played uh, Warcraft 3? Uh, I have not. Okay. 
Well, uh, I apologize in advance if one of the if some of these questions seem unfair. Uh, however, this segment of the podcast is called the Lore Master Feet of Strength. Uh, you know, this is our testimon tests or our way of uh, measuring one's true lore ability. Uh, no one has ever completed the full gauntlet of the Lore Master Feet of Strength. We've had one person get all five questions right, but we have never had anybody go beyond the five questions and complete the Mythic Plus Feet of Strength. So, you know, the way that this works is I'm going to ask you five questions. Uh, we've got kind of an elven theme today since you are an elf. If you get all five of those questions right, then we move on to the Mythic Plus where you'll have another five questions which are more difficult. If you get all of them right, then I'll give you a WoW token. If not, then you get nothing. Okay. Sound fair enough? I'm scared. <laughs> Alright, well, no worries. We'll ask you the first five, and if you uh, if you don't get through all those, no worries. Um, these are all multiple choice, so there's very much the possibility that you can flub your way through it <laughs> and come out on top. Uh, but we can dive right into it here, uh, if you're ready. Okay, let's go. Alright, so question number one, and again, these are kind of elven, and I tried, you know, keeping in... in uh, podcast tradition i did try to keep these um relatively increasing difficulty the first couple should be you know softballs the the latter maybe not so much so the first question here lady liadrin is the matriarch of the blood knights and up until recently she was devoted to bringing about the end of the burning legion However, earlier in life, she developed a hatred of a different foe, trolls. Her parents were, of course, slain by trolls. However, the question I have for you is which tribe of trolls killed Liadrin's parents? Is it A, the Gurubashi, B, the Witherbark, C, the Shadowpine, or D, the Yamani? Uh, is it D, the Yamani? It is D the Amani. Yes, those are the. Uh, that's that's the correct answer there. Um, those guys are right outside of Silvermoon, so uh, definitely the the tribe that the elves have been fighting with for centuries. I'm pretty sure. All right, so you got question one. Very good. Question two. You might be surprised to hear that Sylvanas and Illyria Windrunner are aunts. Uh, their sister, Verisa, has two sons. I guess by extension, that would make Teralian and Nathanos uncles, sort of. <laughs> uh, the only question is, who is the father of Verisa's children? Uh, to help us find out, we've invited all four of the, f uh, of the potential dads to join us. Uh, hopefully nothing gets too physical. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh... <laughs> uh so yeah, we're trying to find out who the father is of Varisa's children. It's like an episode of Maori. Exactly. Uh, so the first candidate, answer A, is Calicos, the, the bachelor dragon? Or is it B, the enigmatic archmage Xylem? Answer C, 
the heroic and sadly deceased Archmage Ronan, or D, the wise but also deceased Archmage Antonidas? It is C, Ronin, who is also happens to be uh, Richard Knack's um, self-insert character. Okay, Richard Knack's insert character. That's funny. Okay, because we were just talking about in the South Fury Watch Discord. Um, I was like, okay, so if Nathan and I said, does anybody think it's funny that the three so um, the three Windrunner sisters all have human male consorts? Now, because Sylvanas has Nathanos. Illyria has Turalyon, and uh, Verisa had Ronan. And, um, you know, there's been some talk about how Nathanos is an insert for some dude. So it's just like, oh, geez, I wonder who, you know, these other two guys are inserts for. So that's... that's... There's actually a fun story about this. So when Kanak was writing um, the uh, one of the books, I can't remember which, um, he forgot Apparently, this isn't confirmed, but apparently he forgot that Elaria Windrunner was in Outland. So he wrote Elaria as being around and um, his character Ronin as uh, being in a relationship with her. And then he found oh, out. No. And then he found out that Elaria was actually beyond the Dark Portal. And so he literally renamed um, her, and Verisa Windrunner was born. Wow. It's not confirmed, so don't take me as gospel, but um, I've heard it from that, a few people. That seems to be keeping in Blizzard fashion, though. <laughs> Just like, oh, we forgot about this one. Um, let's invent a new character. Whoops. <laughs> Wow, that's pretty good. So now we just need to know who Turalyon is the self-insert for, and we're good to go. Yeah. Um, so that that's funny. All right. Uh, question C. There are many elven lodges across Azeroth. Uh, one that has been around since Vanilla is the lodge that marked the entrance into the Ghostlands, uh, the scourged elven territory sacked by Arthas. Which elven lodge is the one that watches the road from the eastern plague war, uh, eastern plague lands towards the Ghostlands? Fuck. Yeah. Is it A? <laughs> The Queldenil Lodge? Is it B? The Quellithian Lodge? Is it C? The Farstrider Lodge? Or D? The North Pass Lodge? Can I phone a friend? <laughs> nope. <laughs> uh... Alright, so it's been there since Vanilla. I'm gonna guess D, because Vanilla, they didn't really do much language stuff, but I'm probably wrong. So, the North Pass Lodge is actually incorrect. Yeah. That's alright. The answer is B, the Quellithian Lodge. That was gonna be my second guess. Uh... I actually don't know where the Far Strider Lodge is, but the Quell Danil Lodge is in um uh what's that area? It's in the Loch Hinterlands. Modan, I think. Oh yeah, the Far Strider Lodge is in Loch Modan. Oh yeah. Modan. And then Quell Danil is in the Hinterlands. Yeah. So but with the elves they all sound 
the same in my opinion. I don't know. I mean, obviously, Far Strider and North Path Pass are different, but the other two, those are tough. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't know if you really got to appreciate Ale, uh, you know, the House Guild uh, bump on Warm Wrist Accord. Anytime a new season of Game of Thrones would come out, you would see like 10,000 new House Guilds pop up. <laughs> so this question is in reference to the Blood Elf Houses. Uh, through my research, which admittedly was not super thorough, uh, I was only able to find two actual elven noble houses in lore, uh, ones that were named. Uh, that being, of course, the House of Sunstrider and the House of Salinar. Um, I guess the rest of the houses that we invent are just fan fiction. <laughs> um, I did find, however, that Silvermoon was ruled in part by a directorate, which was comprised of seven greater houses, uh, only one of which was named. That would be the House Salinar. Um, this directorate, composed of the seven greater houses, was mostly wiped out during the Scourge invasion of Quel'Thalas. My question to you is, what was the name of this ruling directorate? Is this answer A, the Silver Moon House of Nobles? B, the Convocation of Silver Moon? C, the Ministry of Silver Moon? Or D, the Council of the Seven? I'm a fake elf. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I know the House of Nobles is a Stormwind thing. Um, It could be. (laughs) <laughs> you're not giving any clues away even though i've already lost um i'm gonna go for b just because it sounds the most pretentious very good yeah sometimes i'm not very good at making up names for these things <laughs> uh yes the correct answer is b the convocation of silver moon um yeah i did uh you can tell that someone was really proud of themselves for coming up with that name yeah, like, oh, guys. Yeah, after, like, taking a hit from a blunt. Dude, the Convocation of Silver Moon is so good. Um, yeah, no, I I was Googling around, like, you know, House of Sunstrider, looking around for, like, the other noble houses. I figured there had to be something, but really could not come up with a lot. And the Convocation, I'm pretty sure, like, half of the people were assassinated by a blood elf. So I don't know what happened there. Um Regarding houses, I think the implication is that because yeah, Quelderai were all nobles, that all the families are technically noble houses, and some are just better than others. I gotcha. Well, what can you do? Alright, so this last question might be difficult for you, having not played Warcraft 3, but we'll give it a shot anyways. Uh, Sylvanas Windrunner, the current war chief of the Horde, but during Thrall's time was merely the Queen of the Forsaken, had a demonic advisor, Verimathris. Verimathris was tasked with leading the Scourge in Lordaeron by Archimond uh, before Sylvanas kind of enslaved him. Uh, and to help him with this task, he had his two brothers. Which of the following Dreadlords were a member of Verimathris' demonic family. He had two brothers, but we're only looking for one. Is it answer A, Anetheron, 
Answer B, Beltharis. Answer C, Dalvinger. Or answer D, Deathrock. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna guess D. Deathrock? Yeah. Deathrock is correct. Can you name the other one? No. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, the other one is Balnazar. Um, I don't know if you can still find Deathrock in game, but I'm pretty sure Balnazar uh, did impersonate one of the Scarlet Crusade people. And he's the final boss of the Scarlet side of the Eastern Plaguelands. Or the, uh, not the Eastern Plaguelands, um, Old Stratholme. So that's a fun fact for you. Well, there you have it. There we have it. Well, you got five, uh, four out of five right. That's pretty good, Ale. Yes. I wouldn't say that you're a fake elf. <laughs> Though, I mean, if you were looking to race change, you know, the South Fury Watch is not very welcoming towards elves. So if you had to, if you had to pick one of the other races, who do you think that you would you would be? Well. I play a Zandalari too, but she's also in the Ashband. Um, I have a Magkar Orc I've been leveling, but I, I can't remember. Are you guys okay with Magkar Orcs, or is it just normal Orcs? So the South Fury Watch uh, only lets in people who have a reason to be defending the Barons. More often than not, that's just kind of the Horde base races plus Goblins minus Forsaken. Yeah. Um, but if... And we talked about this in in a prior episode, but um, you know if if somebody really wanted to join, there's a chance that a concession could be made for them. But more often than not, it's more so that they're looking for people who will put the barons up and above other causes. Yeah. So, yeah, I think a maghar, if he came by and said, "I don't have a home anymore," you know, we'd probably be cool with that good because i uh i I can only play cute characters and i'd be running low otherwise (laughs) oh okay (laughs) well ale it has been a pleasure having you on today um don't you have a guy in your guild named vuza right uh yeah uh, vuza is in my guild yeah and he's a pretty stellar artist, right? Uh, I think you might be confusing him, because uh, Viz is just a dumb baby. Oh, okay. Uh, well, there's somebody in your guild who does really good art, and I just wanted to do a quick shout-out to them, because I feel like I've seen their stuff on the Discord. But shout-out right. to Vuza too. He's not that dumb. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, it's been great having you on, Ale. You know, very pleasant talking with you, and we hope to have you again uh, sometime. Um, you know, next time maybe we can give you even tougher lore questions and we'll see how you do then. <laughs> More wide-ranging ones that aren't just about elves. Yeah, right, we'll, we'll look up some Draenei stuff and oh, God. maybe tackle that. I'd be an embarrassment if I got any of those wrong. Well, for everybody listening at home, uh, thank you again for checking in tuning in again apologies about the lateness of this episode 
and we will catch you next time on the next episode of the South Fury Watch podcast. <laughs>